Thank you so much for downloading this episode of So What Do You Really Do? The podcast where I, your host, editor Dennis Maller, speaks to artists and entertainers about their day jobs. And this episode of the podcast is the only or very few great examples of positive things that can come out of this pandemic. Um, my guest on the podcast today is a comedian, Kelly Zemnikis, who is from Canada, who lives in Toronto, Canada. I am here in Boston, Massachusetts, in the United States of America, which is in the middle of a dumpster fire of an election, which is inside the dumpster fire of a year that is 2020. And Kelly and I would never have met had it not been for this pandemic. What I mean is she is a comedian in Canada. I'm here in Boston. Neither of us have any reason to go to the other cities to like run into each other or cross paths or any of that stuff. Um, and the only reason we had become friends is because we did so many online comedy shows and open mics and online comedy festivals together. And in fact, the only reason we were able to do so many comedy festivals this year is because so many of them went to virtual, to doing it online, doing it through Zoom, and that's where her and I became friends. Uh, but before we start talking about that, let me do some quick plugs because I never have things to plugs, uh, so I'm going to plugs them now. Uh, and if you are in the New Hampshire area, I will be doing live comedy in your face from a social distance. I'm doing cottage comedy at Kathleen's Irish Pub. Um, up in Bristol, New Hampshire on Saturday, November 7th. Show starts at 7 p.m. For more information and to buy tickets, which are only $5, go to Kathleen'sIrishPub.com or my website, DeadOrDennis.com, and all that information is right there for you. Uh, it is a safe, socially distant show. Masks are required, uh, and we will be on stage at a safe distance telling jokes for you to laugh. Uh, there's a lot of good, funny Boston comedians who are all coming up for the show, none of whom are driving together. So we're just increasing that carbon footprint that we've worked so hard to try and reduce during this pandemic. But it's going to be a great fun show that my buddy Pete Andrews puts together every month. So if you're in the New Hampshire area, anywhere near Bristol, New Hampshire, come on out. It's going to be a good time. And if you are anywhere in the world that has an internet connection, you can see me hosting not one, but two shows, two shows for Flappers Comedy Club out in LA on Saturday, November 14th. Showtimes are 5 p.m. and 7.30 p.m. Pacific Standard Time uh, because we are no longer in Daylight Savings Time, so we're now at the Standards Time. Um, of course, that is 5 p.m. and 7.30 p.m. West Coast. It is 8 p.m. Uh, and 10.30 p.m. East Coast Time um, or whatever time that equals out to where you live. You can see the show um, online safely through Zoom. It's going to be a good, fun uh, bunch of shows with me and a bunch of other comedians. But yeah, back to this. So, pod, uh, Kelly, this, here, Kelly is a, a great example, like I was saying, of making the best of a bad situation. Um, I can't help but think, continually think about had we did any of these comedy festivals in person this year, would this conversation have ever had happened? Would we have ever crossed paths? Even if we did the, all three of the same shows together, would we have hung out? And would I have brought recorders to sit down and do this podcast? I would like to think so, but I don't. Uh, because Kelly has an interesting job. She's a transcriber for television shows. Well, she transcribes anything, but predominantly for TV shows. And that is an aspect and a job of the industry that I never thought about. Now, granted, I have, you know, I send my recordings for, you know, when I'm doing articles for Dick Boston, I send my interviews to a website that have it transcribed for me. Uh, because I didn't, I know there's people who do it, but I can't imagine paying somebody to do that. I would do honestly. I would do it myself if I wasn't such a shit typist. <laughs> like it's a lot of work. It takes a lot of time, and I'm not going to be able to, to do that. And we'll talk about it, and you'll hear why. But she goes over the reasons why it's important to have a human person for these TV shows. At why she does it, 
why they need someone to do it and why it's more important that a person does it instead of an automated AI algorithm, computer Siri thing, do it. Um, so that's an interesting part of the entertainment industry that nobody really talks about. And of course, she also worked in TV as a floor producer and line producer and other stuff. So she gets into the differences of Canadian TV and American TV, which by the way, spoiler alert, there is no, there's no difference, but she talks about how she got into that. Um, and that led her into transcribing and we, uh, very important. Uh, she is a producer on a very important documentary about nine 11 and the, the first responders. Uh, it's very interesting listening to somebody from Canada empathize with us here in the U S about that whole industry and really, or incident, not industry. Nine 11 was not an industry. It was an incident. But something that like that, how that affected not only us here in Americans, but it's clear how it affected people all across the world who saw what happened when those towers fell. And I mean, I still vividly remember exactly where I was uh, when it when it happened. And I'm sure a lot of people do. And I don't know. I, I, I remember all I could think of because my sister was in high school at the time. And I was 20 years old and all I was thinking was like. You know, I'm in Baltimore. I'm just a couple miles away. From, I, I I personally was in the D.C. area. You know, I went to school in Montgomery County right outside of Washington, D.C. Uh, a buddy I was in class with was his office, exactly where he sat at his desk, got hit by one of the planes. So, you know, I'm very close to what happened on, the, on, the, on those days. You know, and all I think about is my sister who's in high school in Baltimore and how my dad, you know, was sick and practically useless. Uh... I don't mean that in a bad way, but he was, well, you know, if something were to happen, my sister needed help. He wasn't going to be able to get to her just watching, like walking into my TV production class and just sitting in the studio, watching everything happen live, how insane it was. But anyway, it didn't affect just us. It affected a lot of people. As you'll hear Kelly talk about when she mentions the documentary that her, that she and much other people were producing about the first responders. This was a good, interesting episode. A lot of things that, you know, we get into a little bit of politics and stuff. Um, just so you know, this was recorded prior to the election, and uh, I'm now just getting around to doing the intro and uploading it after. Well, I can't say after the election. The election happened, but we're still kind of in the midst of the election because we still don't have a president yet. Uh, it's been two days, and it looks like uh, we may not have a president after this. We may just have a fascist dictatorship. Who knows? Anyway, let's not talk about that. Um, oh, also, by the way, uh, since Halloween has passed, if you didn't see it, my new foster dog sister and I had a very adorable couple's costume for Halloween, which we didn't do anything but some online shows with. And uh, she is dressed up as Air Bud and I'm a basketball net. If you want to see those pictures, just go to my Instagram at Dead or Dennis and you can see those. All right, that's enough about plugs. That's enough about the preamble. Let's get right into my conversation with comedian, transcriber, and documentary producer, Kelly Zemnikis. <laughs> Man, I think I am going to go ahead and make so much editing work for myself that I already have to do anyway. I've just now created more editing work because I uh, have to torture myself. So, uh, hi, that's Kelly. Okay. Let's, start, let's, open, uh, let's start with this because... We're we're doing we're having to do a socially distant podcast uh, because yeah. uh, even though the fact that we've been in what three comedy festivals this year together is that about right? Yeah, Burbank, yeah. Uh, Plano, Plano, and uh, Underground, and now New Underground York coming up. Which, by the way, if yeah. we if this was you know if the world wasn't falling apart and we were able to go uh, to actually do these things, we could just sit down yeah. in front of two microphones and record this 
and make everything easy and then walk away. I know. I know. And then go grab like a pretzel in Central Park or something, you know? (laughs) Yeah. Or, you know, just sit in the hot Texas October sun or whatever. I don't know. I'm assuming it's hot in Texas. It's hot here today. I, I have to say for, for whatever date it is today in October, it's pretty hot here in Toronto. I'm not going to lie. Yeah. Uh, well, yesterday we had it's weird here in Boston. Yesterday was, uh, you know, mid seventies. Now today it's yep. mid sixties, which is fine. Yeah. It seems like everywhere yeah. it's just fluctuating back and forth and going insanely crazy. Um, yeah. But oh, well, uh, while we're talking about the festival, let's be honest. The reason we were able yeah. to do so many festivals this year is because they were all virtual. Yeah. If these weren't virtual and we got accepted, how many of these podcasts or podcasts, how many of these festivals <laughs> do you think you actually would enable been able to go to? Um, my uh, my visa would be getting a bit more of a workout with all the travel that I would be doing of like, you know, you know, booking the planes, getting the hotel room. I maybe could have done one. Yeah. You know, I don't make a ton of money. So getting into a festival is is an incredible treat, but there's all that expense that comes with it. Yeah. Um, Especially I've, when I've there's no done... reimbursement for those oh, expenses yeah. either. Like there's, we're, yeah. we're literally paying money to go do free shows. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I've only had one experience so far in my, you know, I'm still pretty green. I've only been doing stand up for about four years and a bit. Um, but I've had one experience where my, my flight was paid for. Um, and that was pretty sweet. <laughs> yeah. there, there are festivals that do take care of that, and, but most of them, a yeah. vast majority, don't. They don't, you know, I've been in uh, accepted festivals where they'll pay you like 25, 50 bucks a show um, after submitting, yeah. but those are those are the rarities. Um, hell, yeah. I mean, even doing more than one show during the entire festival is a rarity. So, Oh my gosh, we were we were spoiled with, with Burbank. They added more shows to their their festival because of the virtual thing. Well, great. I think you got spoiled. I did three (laughs) terrible shows that nobody showed up to. So, (laughs) and that's not the festival's fault. I'm not blaming Burbank for that. It's just coincident. I mean, there was very, there were shows that were well populated uh, with audience members. Well, attended should probably be attended should be the right word. Not populated. Uh, It should be attended. I should be saying they were well attended, not populated. People don't live at these shows. Uh, but yeah, there some were well attended. Mine, however, were yeah. not. Um, and I also think the reason they added more shows is because they, between you and I, I don't think they turned anybody down for the festival. So they're like, we're gonna give everybody three shows. Oh no, we have more people than we expected. Because uh, I wasn't show, yeah. shows with some people where I'm like, how did you get in this at all? How is that possible? I, I not you, not you specifically, that. not yeah. you, Kelly. <laughs> Because I like how you're like, oh, I'm still, I've been in doing this for four years. I'm still green. Meanwhile, let's be honest. A man would be like, four years? Where's my Netflix special? Let me tell Four years? I've been doing comedy four years. I have four years to be able to tell you what, what you should be doing with your comedy because that's how uh, I work as a man. But uh-huh. a woman, she's like, four yeah. years? I'm still new. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I mean, I've done, I've done a... I'm pretty proud of what I've done in four years, but, uh, I, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm humble. Maybe that's the Canadian in me. I'm not sure. <laughs> Just Perhaps, yes. I guess a, 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 a female Canadian is, will apologize for more than anybody else, anywhere else at, at all times. So. <laughs> yeah. It's on my birth certificate. Let's apologize. <laughs> well, I also apologize for being Often. bored, but a completely different reason. So. <laughs> 
But anyway, yeah. So I mean, that's that's one of those weird things. It's like, you know, I I I, I do I get to do. I'm lucky enough to do at least one to two festivals a year since uh for the past I don't know six years that I've been yeah you know, I've been doing yeah. comedy over ten years, but for the past I yeah. want to say six years I do one to two festivals a year, um, and that's the fun is meeting people in other uh, other towns and other cities yeah. and other markets and then it's great when you get yeah. when you like cross paths again at a different festival um if you remember them because i have a te- te- terrible memory sometimes in front of people and they're like <laughs> yeah we did a show in baltimore together and i'm like oh hi welcome to ohio uh, but and, i mean think about it like you and i are getting along because sure. we're doing the, you know we, you know we know each other because we're doing these virtual open mics and then we did yeah. these virtual festivals together yet we've never seen yeah. each other and and all yeah. if it wasn't for this pandemic you being in Toronto, me being in, in, in Boston, there is zero chance the two of us would have ever actually crossed paths in the future, probably. Or, or not the future, but yeah. in an alternate timeline, we never would have crossed paths likely, right? There's very little chance yeah. that you're coming to Boston anytime, uh, uh, had this pandemic not and there was zero chance I was going to Toronto. So Yeah, the last time the last time I was in Boston uh, was uh, during the height of the New Kids on the Block game. <laughs> and... Um, <laughs> Oh, and the revival you every, mean last year? The the new kids time. revival last year? No. Oh, the original. Oh, in the eighties, in the early nineties. Yeah. Oh, okay. See, that was back in the nineties, and every cabbie in Boston knew exactly what their addresses were. Uh, it was when I realized what I, you know, the 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 light stalking I did. I felt terrible. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's cute when a woman stalks a celebrity. When I stalk, uh, if I start stalking Miley Cyrus, it's a crime. It's literally, yeah. it's a crime. Yeah. That let's be honest, it's a crime that most police don't care about. That's also the biggest problem there. So, yeah, no, it's uh, it, when I yeah, when I think back to, to to those days, but that that was the last time I was in Boston. It's been a minute. Yeah, for sure. And I've never even yeah. come close. The closest I came to the Canadian border is the Anirondacks of New York. So. You should visit sometime. Yeah, no. When, if the, I, border, when the border opens, appa- whenever that will be. Apparently, I was on a bike track, and I was told, if you take that wrong path, you take that path there, that's the wrong path, it'll take you to Canada. So that's the closest I've been was accidentally almost the, going to Canada. Is it, is it the wrong path, though? Really? In the, this day and age? No, it's definitely... <laughs> Definitely the path that we should be taking, especially after last night's... Uh... At least you could understand them last night. There was that. There yeah, was, I guess. I mean, I, was, the, oh, so that's the benefit is 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 that our in our debate the second debate there was less arguing. <laughs> oh God. Well, oh, God. Uh, on that, yeah. since, are you? Do you? I don't know how much of what happens here makes it over the border in Canada. Like uh, about oh, a, lot. a lot. We do hear a lot. I mean, very very common to have more than we need on our TV channels. Uh, chatter about what Trump's doing. But, you know, like I also watch CNN and MSNBC and just kind of keep keep aware of what's happening. But there are some days where I honestly feel like I know more about what's happening in your country than my own. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, well, my curiosity was, is, is it heightened? You know, is your awareness of American politics heightened because you're doing more virtual open mics here in America? Is it because we're in a dump fire, a dumpster fire that is uh, that transcends borders, or is it just kind of always that way, where it's American news, American politics takes over news everywhere else? 
in all honesty, and maybe I'm showing my age, but I don't really care if I am or not. Um, I think it's been like that since CNN kind of broke out with, you know, the OJ trial. I feel like that and then uh, Gulf War, 9-11, then American politics really kind of got pumped out way more than I remember uh, as a child when, you know, occasionally I'd watch like, you know, the NBC Nightly News and hear about like baby Jessica and like little stories here and there. But I feel like, yeah, those early 90s, it's been and it's just gotten more and more, you know, the the uh, the the reality show that is CNN. Yeah. OK. So because <laughs> yeah. you think it's obviously because more of accessibility with CNN. Yeah. And, and it's, it's a shame because there's so, I mean, this kind of Canada is massive and um, there's so much going on here that you really have to hunt down and, and find out what's going on in, in this pocket or this pocket or with, you know, uh, French Canadian issues or indigenous issues. You really have to do the work for it, um, which, which is a shame because I think from what I've gathered from doing so many online shows over the past few months, I think a lot of Americans have had this opinion that we're a bit of a utopia, that everything's fine here. We're, we're all good. We all get along. We, you know, love each other and, and that sort of thing. And the truth is we're just as much of a dumpster fire up here. Mm -hmm. uh, we're just very good at hiding it. I mean, I think every country has their own, you know, politics in general are terrible and awful. Like anyone, uh, what's the old saying? Anyone who wants to be a politician is automatically not qualified to be a politician. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to assume that transcends borders and visas. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's, yeah. And, and land wise, I mean, Canada's so big that I, I think we have just as many issues with, you know, East having beefs with the West and North and South and, and all of that. So it's, yeah, you've, you've got you've to do your work. You've got to pay attention to all news sources that you can. And people get lazy and they just want to see what's on their Twitter or on their Facebook and have that be their news source. And that's not, that's not the be all and end all. You have to work for it. But people don't want to do that these days. That takes effort. Let's, let's ask this because of what you're, what's it between closed captioning, subtitling, and what you do? Well, Closed captioning um, is not what I do. I am a transcriber and um, I work with the raw footage of a program. So closed captioning you'll see on like a news event or, you know, when you're at your doctor's office and it's muted and you see like that dialogue come up. Someone's sitting at a computer system that's set up to do that, to get those quick keys and shortcuts and sort of frame sentences as they are said. Whereas what I do is I will get from, you know, argument's sake, Discovery Channel, a new documentary series they're working on. I will get four hours of an interview with the scientist. And I sit here at home on this laptop I'm using now, and I write out everything the director says, every answer that the interview subject gives. And then I give that to a story editor who works with an editor in the, you know, production office, and they cut a scene together. So I'm going through all the raw footage of a program. So I'm, I'm not doing those quick things you would see on, on a news broadcast. I'm sifting through hours and days of footage. And you're transcribing it all just for them to be able yes. to review and go through. Instead of them sitting down yeah. with the video to, to figure out what the edit's going to be, they can at least look at it on paper. 
Correct. Because like in a case like uh, a home renovation show, like Love It or List It, which is a show that I work on, um, that show takes three months to film one episode. So what you would see as a viewer on HGTV being 45 minutes, we have filmed that show for three to four months. So there is a ton of footage and you will lose track of what's happening and what's said. And so I provide basically a script. I'm providing a script to the, the, the you know, the story producers and the editors um, for each episode. And the other thing that I do is um, uh, a bit different called uh, producing a box script, which is a traditional video script of like audio in one column, uh, video in the other. And I sit through a show that is about to go to air to like a broadcaster like Netflix. And I'm doing a column with all the audio and all the video. And um, that, you know, that can take a great deal of time. And that will go to a broadcaster to assist with captioning a show down the line. So it's, it's kind of nuanced and complicated. And you have to be... Um, your attention needs to be focused for a job like this because you're sitting through days and days and days of footage. Yeah, actually, you brought up the second point of what I was going to ask is if the transcripts that you're writing, are they going yeah. to, because obviously there are, you know, closed captioning isn't done live 24-7. Obviously, live news, live conferences, right. there's somebody yeah. trying to type yeah. quickly along. This is what he said, yeah. I think. Yeah, um, that's why you see those mistakes that come up because yeah. someone's, sitting there watching live with Kelly and Ryan trying to type as fast as they can. And yeah. And it, I know somebody offered me a job a long time back of doing closed captioning work where it's like, Oh, you just sit down, write the video. Like it was an actual office you went to, you sat in front of it and you just typed out the things. And I guess you saved the files somewhere right. and they loaded them somewhere else. I don't know. I didn't take the job. Didn't ask too much about yeah. it. Um, yeah. <laughs> Cause I was already working in TV. It's like, why do I want to, I, I, I'm directing TV shows or I'm writing uh, uh, or, or I'm a news anchor for, you know, at the time mm -hmm. that all this was happening, I was already doing TV work for, for, for you know, a, yeah. a cable access station. So like, yeah. why would I want to okay. go into that field when I'm already here? Like there's definitely that, that's not going to help my business. That's not going to help my <laughs> career by going to do that. Okay. Yeah. It pays, but that's not what I want to do. And also I was working radio yeah. time. So it's like, I got too many irons in fire. Why am I going to quit these to go do that? But so. Yeah. And it's a very nuanced, quirky job that you wouldn't necessarily think was a job in TV or film. Um, definitely when I was working as a production coordinator on shows and I was more in the office and scheduling crews and booking makeup trailers, I would give transcribing jobs to like interns and PAs to be like, can you just, this is, this is a bitch. Can you just go take care of this? Which, where did you start, you know, when you worked in TV, now that you work in TV, where did you start as production assistant or did you try start in transcribing? In all honesty, I started as, um, as a stage, like a, a floor director at a local cable station when I was about 14 or 15 and then got to working at our major broadcaster here in Canada, the CBC, on a, a long running series um, that was called Royal Canadian Air Force. It was a weekly sketch show that was also on the radio. Um, and I worked with them. Um, I was their production secretary, which was essentially a script coordinator. I was preparing the scripts. I was preparing uh, the shooting schedules and that kind of stuff. So that's that's how I got started. And then just eventually along the way, worked more with like a production manager, 
became a production coordinator and doing more of like the, the nitpicky organizational stuff. And um, the transcribing gig, um, because you have breaks in TV, you know, you shoot for a few months, then you're off for like six, then you shoot for a month or whatever. Um, I had a friend who said, hey, I'm working on this documentary. Um, do you mind just giving me a hand? I know you're a good typist. And that was about eight years ago. And I've never stopped working. She gave my name to someone else. They gave my name to someone else. And it became uh, a nice little niche boutique business for myself. Okay. Yeah. And so is, is that work freelance? Yeah. Completely yeah. and totally. Like I, they don't, nobody hires a transcribist. Um, I get, I get hired much like you were if you were, you know, like a sound guy on the show for a month or, you know, I'll get these like little, you know, contracts that I sign with people. But, but no, I mean, I'm, I'm a freelancer. I go from production company to production company, ad agencies call me. I've, you know, transcribed everything from focus groups to like love it or list it, like I've mentioned. This is interesting to me because this is where the conversation may take a bad turn and that's not what I, I want to do. And it's, I'm curious because in my, in the world of radio and podcasts and that I work at, especially since I left, left, since I was unceremoniously <laughs> dismissed from iHeartRadio and started working uh, freelance right. in, in radio and podcasting, a lot of things I saw come up about uh, transcriptions, especially in podcasts, because mm -hmm. apparently NPR podcasts, they also want to give you an entire transcribed, ver like they somehow think that every mm -hmm. podcast also needs to have a transcribed version alongside of it. And I'm like, eh, that's nice, but I think a little ridiculous. So there's people who right. offer their services or, or hey, I'm looking mm -hmm. for a transcribist. Um, or, hey, I'm a transcribist looking for work or this, that. And yeah. when I do my interviews for Dig Boston, for the newspaper I, I write for, mm -hmm. I record the interviews, audio, whether, yeah. you know, before all this pandemic, I was recording because most of the conversations were over the phone uh, because yeah. I can I have a talk and a rapport and I can record the audio, release mm -hmm. the podcast, release a, a news article yeah. at the same time. And I would transcribe the audio yeah. recordings, but I would use a website to do it. I fancy myself an okay typist, but not good enough to be able to follow along with my own talk. I mean, look how fast yeah. I talk. Good luck trying to transcribe. <laughs> I mean, we had to move this down so anybody could follow what it is that I'm normally yeah. saying half the time. So I have yeah. a website that does it for, for me. And yeah. it's not perfect. And I go back through it and I have to correct things. So you're probably you're probably wondering why am I still doing this job? Not well <laughs> I don't want it to I don't want I I don't want it to come out it's that fair. way. But yes, it's that's fair. the question. Yeah. Is why why are people going to you instead of you know, sending it to Temi.com like I do, pay 25 cents a minute and then have a PA just correct it. Well, the the best example, like I'm working on a series right now for, I actually don't know what channel it is. It might be Animal Planet. I'm not sure. So are you just typing roar and growl a lot? No, <laughs> <laughs> I am not. Uh, I've done that, but um no, I'm I'm working on a series. I got hired uh, by a production company because they were using a software program that butchered the transcripts completely. People people speak at different cadences. Some people speak really quickly. Some people self-correct. Maybe an accent's very thick, so you think it's a word, but it's actually another word. And this transcription software, after 30, 35 days of they were like going through it finally. And we're like, this is awful. So I got a call saying, can you correct what was done? 
this is not the first time a show has called me because the software has butchered the program. Mm -hmm. It's voice to text software, as handy as it is, isn't doing exactly what I do just yet. Um, it's not either providing, um, uh, you know, show notes if they're needed for some transcripts or stuff that happens off camera. Um, there's just a nuance that I do to a transcript that the robot hasn't figured out yet. So there's still an actual need for a human to do it. Um, because as I mentioned, the software is picking up words that aren't there. And then you give that to the story producer and they're like, this is not what they said, <laughs> you know? So you still need a human. Yeah, or, it's not perfect. Know. No, yeah. no, I can't, I these things, like I said, when I use it, I still have to go back through and correct yeah. a yeah. fair amount, uh, uh, but I don't think it's an excessive amount and it's a lot easier for me to correct. And it also has like a yeah. button. Like, well, do you put in like, a ver uh, do you transcribe verbal crutches and stuff like ums and uhs, or do you just leave those out? It. Every, every show has been different. Some want everything. Some want every single thing that comes out of your mouth. Some shows want me to take that out, which is actually, it sounds strange, but it's almost harder to do that because I'm so used to just every single thing I hear, I'm typing, I'm typing. And when I have to like, okay, I've got to wait, I've got to wait. And if it's someone who just, you know, like in a home renovation show, those people aren't actors. Those are everyday folk who are not used to being on camera, who stumble in their speech. You have to affect the, the tense that you're using. Sometimes when you're shooting stuff, you've got to pretend like it just happened, but it actually happened three weeks ago. So you have to speak as if it's just happening and it trips you up, you know? It's still helpful to have me. <laughs> well, yeah, I, I mean, I, I imagine even, you know, the software, even if they were doing the software, somebody would still have to go through and correct a lot of it. Yeah, um, I'm, just, yeah. I, I'm just curious as what, you know, and I, I, I'm, it's so hard to ask this question without sounding like, yeah, you know, sound like, hey, aren't you out of date? Because they have, like, that's not where I'm coming from. Trust me, I worked in radio. Yeah. I write for a newspaper. I'm a single away from being the king of all dead media, right? I've spent 22 years hearing from people saying, oh, radio, is that still around? Like, clearly it is. I, I'm employed in it. Yeah. Which, by the way, yeah. I, I, just side note, the the annoyance of NPR-style podcasters where they're like, oh, my God, I don't even listen to the radio. I'm like, you work for NPR. That is literally the radio. <laughs> but I digress. I'm, I'm a radio fan. It's so wild. Like, one one of my brothers sent me uh, the link to this, like, voice-to-text software. He's like, oh, my God, you should totally check this out. This would make your transcribing so much easier. And I, I messaged him back. I'm like, Buddy, the show that hired me to fix the software, this was the program that screwed up. <laughs> I mean, and that's the other thing. I was, I, like for you, would it, you know, if, if there was a, let's just say there is a good software, not a great one, a good one, where it gets most of it right. You still have to correct most of it by yeah. hand. Yeah, a, a fair, let's say, I don't know, what, what 60 40. 60% 60 is right, 40% needs to be corrected by hand. Is that, is that a fair, mm -hmm. is, would that be a fair assessment? Is that a terrible job? I would say what I'm dealing with now, just as an example, it's pretty 50-50. Okay. Uh, this program, I mean, the, the transcripts that I'm looking at are hilarious, what they think that these people were saying. And, you know, they're, they're from, you know, the West Coast of Canada, maybe have a different cadence or, uh, you know, heavier accent on on this or that than I do, but it's pretty it's pretty friggin' funny, which is weird. I don't know why I don't know why it did that because 
I, I don't know how it works. I don't know how the algorithms pick up certain medical terms that are so specific, it gets it right on the nose. The person says it again, it gives me instead of like, you know, anesthetize, I see I needed donuts. It's like, how did you get this wrong the second time? Like, <laughs> Yeah, what I've seen that. On? I've seen that where, especially, or it'll spell someone's name two different ways. It's like, what what happened here? Why uh, why did you pick just, Kate with a C and Kate with a K? Just pick one and go with it. I I do not understand it. And and to be honest, I mean, I did not think that you know eight years later this would be the bulk of my income. But sh- I don't advertise my business. I've never taken. I have a Facebook page that people can message me if they want. Not many people do. It's either phone calls or emails of like, someone give me your name. Do you still do this? It's like, yeah, yeah, no, I, I still do this. And it's wild. I, I, there's still a need for it. So I'm like, okay, it's, it's a weird job that I well, am happy to do. What I'm curious is, is it just because you've been, you know, you're such a good typist, is it easier for you just to straight type out everything you listen to as opposed to let the machine do it and then correct its mistakes, which is faster and yeah. easier. It's just because it's, you do it. It's faster for me to do it. Okay. Yeah. It, it is so time consuming. You know, like if you give, you know, you ask someone for help, they help you out, then you have to go over and you have to correct it. And you're like, I should have just done this myself. Yeah, I, I mean, that's where the difference is, is I'm not that good of a typist. So I need <laughs> like, if there's, if there's one mistake in two paragraphs, <laughs> I needed for the talk for those whole two paragraphs why I fixed yeah. that one mistake because that's how terrible yeah. that because I'm not that good. Yeah, it's it, I mean, you know, I'm I, I've been typing for so long that like in high school I had typewriter class. So, you know, I mean, so did I. I mean, we're not yeah. like we're not that far in our age. Like we, we no, you no. know, my 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 ty- ty- like there was a one year difference between typewriter and keyboard. Like when I was at school, so yes. like yes. going from t- manual typewriter <laughs> to computer, like there, I was right at the, yeah. I also learned how to, how to record on reel to reel. Okay. So I'm, Me too. yeah, yeah I, I mean, I know I, I, you know, don't, don't, don't be like, Oh, at my age. Yeah, I know. I, I get it. I'm, I'm right on there along with you on a lot of that stuff. Like I, I, my, I my, 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 uh, you know, in college, we went from recording on tape to recording digitally within the span of one year. Cause they're like, well, there's digital oh, wow. now like that. We were right there when it happened. Yeah. I left, I left college, uh, just before, just before digital. Yeah. Anywho. I mean, I, I, oh, I was also there for I, six I, years, but uh, <laughs> I was at community college for six years. Yes. I guess it's just that I'm so used to the keyboard just because I've had, you know, all these forms of, you know, Commodore 64 to a typewriter. I, I don't need to look, you know, I've, I've admitted this to friends, you know, I have closed my eyes while I'm typing because I can't, you know, <laughs> and it's right. Um. <laughs> I remember my uncle learning, you know, he needed a type of resume or something. using a computer. And I was a kid. He's like, I don't know why everybody's using all 10 fingers. I'm really good at just typing with holding it here and typing with my one hand. I'm like, no, you're not, Denny, Uncle Denny. You're not. You're terrible at this. <laughs> you want to compare typing? I'm eight. Here we go. Why? Done. Type that you with your what? one hand. What's funny, uh, on my phone, I'm a I'm a one-finger typer on a text. I can't do two hands on a phone. I can't do it. That, I mean, how is that not? Well, well in fairness. I th- don't know why. On a QWERTY keyboard, our thumbs are just space bars. 
I mean, I don't know what, 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 when you're typing, I don't, there's not a single, I don't think there's a single letter I hit with my thumb. My thumb is strictly spacebar. So I guess those, yeah, those I... strengths of these eight don't translate to these two. <laughs> these I eight piggies, these eight piggies just... can't, can't teach these two piggies what to do. I had such a tough time going from my BlackBerry to my uh, my digital fancy screen because I missed the actual texture of the keys. Um, yeah, it's strange. It's strange how I how I can like on a on a keyboard on my laptop. I no need to look. I'm different with my phone. So at least I don't transcribe on my phone. That would be. <laughs> I mean, I got. I mean, I had T nine predictive text. Yeah, you know, before I had yeah. my iPhone and. I was really good yeah. at doing that from my from inside my pocket because I texted my friends, get me out of this in my pocket without looking a lot with just one thumb. So it's it's an interesting gig in in the, the work it's given me and the, the shit I hear that people because when you're behind the scenes on a show and people don't see all the nuts and bolts that make up that fun half hour that they watch and they realize everything that like reality shows are so overly produced. I have learned that so well doing this job. <laughs> yeah. There's nothing reality not, about reality TV yeah. shows anymore. No. Well, uh, in, in yeah. the transcribe, like since you're, you know, a good typist and you're, you know, you're working in transcribing, are you ever thinking about or offered jobs outside of transcribing as in like, I'm, I'm sure court stenographers uh, would be a relative field but apparently that keyboard is completely different. Yes. I've had numerous friends over the years say, you should do this. Uh, the equipment, I don't have the money to buy the equipment or, you know, I, that's one thing. It's like the investment in the training to, to go that route. But it's definitely, um, there are so many different variations on it. I mean, even cr like closed captioning a series or running the teleprompt um, in a studio production, those are kind of all like, variations on on what i'm doing that i could you know find my way find my way into and i've definitely been asked numerous times to you know be on set and run or you know run the teleprompter and, and input all that stuff into the teleprompter but i'm i'm so busy with all of these shows like i'm you know i i'm i'm very grateful to all these home reno shows they've they've kept food in my fridge and my rent paid because people love watching them well, at what point did you have to start turning the, well, so you, you've been working in TV behind the scenes for, for a while for and years. now you're doing, yeah. you know, you fell into this transcribing job. At what point did you have to start turning down other work just to focus on transcribing? Um, everything kind of, I, everything kind of worked out sort of perfectly in this really strange way. Like when the transcribing stuff kicked in, um, I was actually getting fewer calls about production coordinating and being on set. And I was so fried from doing those hours. Like you can, you know, as a production coordinator, when you're in those positions where you've got to be there before the crew gets there, you've got to be there after, you've got to prep everything for the next day, you're clocking 20 plus hours, you know, on on a regular you know, on a regular schedule for those shoot days. And you're putting in a lot. Um, and, and that work just by, you know, whatever, whatever was happening in, in the world just became less frequent for me. 
And I just started taking more of these transcribing gigs because friends were like, are you still doing this? That's the first question friends ask me <laughs> is, are you still doing this? <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, yeah, I'm not, I'm not working on a show. I don't want to go back to do that work anymore because it just wasn't for me anymore. And that's when my restaurant work of waitressing, I was a wholesale manager at a bakery that I started getting into that just to make ends meet. And then the transcribing stuff picked up. So it kind of, it kind of worked out perfectly for me. Um, and then I, you know, made the transition into doing, into doing standup. So it's, it's funny how just the stars aligned with the bulk of this weirdo job. Does the work come from most, uh, like, is it mostly Canadian production companies that are reaching out yeah. to you? Okay. Because yeah, obviously transcribing from across the country, it could be done internationally from anywhere at any time. I imagine. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I mean the bulk, the bulk of the work are Canadian production companies, but working in association with like discovery channel Europe, for example, like um, I, I had this interesting uh, period last, last summer of, uh, transcribing on a series uh, that might be on Netflix USA. I'm not sure. Um, it's called Hip Hop Evolution, um, done by a Canadian production company. I was working on that, but then this European outfit got in touch with me about the show about Hitler. So my Google search history was very strange. <laughs> <laughs> you know, with like Sir Mix a lot, and then like the Third Reich, and it was just very. It was. I was clearing my search history a lot. Because I'm like, if anyone's looking at my computer, they're going to be like, what is going on? <laughs> Look, she really likes hip hop and really hates the Jews. There's nothing wrong. Oh, but well, it's, oh. it's because there was a time where Canada, you know, Toronto specifically, a lot of movie and TV shows were filming there because it was cheaper to film in Toronto um, yes. than it was, you know, here in America yeah. in certain parts. Like, a lot, obviously... The only reason I was able to do movie and TV work as an actor here in Massachusetts because Massachusetts has a film credit uh, that they give production, right. so they come here to do yeah. to to yeah. do that stuff. A lot of that was, you yeah. know, Toronto was the big hub for that before. So before the transcribing work, was that uh, you know, were you working as a production assistant for a lot of the movies and TV shows that we're filming? Yeah, Toronto's great at, at you know putting on putting on a mask of being New York or Chicago or wherever, and Vancouver too is is quite uh, quite a hot spot. You know they do like yeah. Riverdale out there and The Good Doctor and and those shows. But I actually uh, in my in my production coordinating days um, was working on stuff that was either solely based in Canada, like Property Brothers. But then I started to work for a company that was doing Canadian versions of American game shows like deal or no deal i worked on the canadian version i worked on canadian idol um and there's one outfit here that really that's their jam they work with the american production companies bring up the canadian version um so i was doing that but i have i have a ton of friends who work on those shows like star trek discovery i think is that the new one? I'm not Something sure. Like that, yeah. But yeah, like I've I've got friends who who do that all the time. I was just working on an, on a different version of things. There are whole companies that just take American properties and then remake them in other countries. Yep. Yeah. Solely what they do. So that a lot of that happened in Canada too, which is weird because oh, yeah. we speak the same language. Okay. We're so close to each other. 
you wouldn't think that they would remake so many so many things, but they do. It's fairly cheap to produce. Yeah. You know, it's sort of easy money. You've got you've got a show like you know on ABC Shark Tank, which was which came out of Dragons Den here in Canada, and, and a couple of former dragons are on Shark Tank. But then that was based on a British show. So you know the old adage there. There are no new ideas yeah. uh, to a degree. <laughs> yeah, no, true. I mean, and here in America, we also do the same thing where we take other you know, countries' properties and we make them ourselves. Um, yeah. And of course, yeah. us Americans then think we created. And then when we hear about the original version, we're like, yeah, but it's not as good, right? Like we perfected it. Yeah. Like, mm, one of my we- one of my favorite moments from working on uh, Deal or No Deal Canada was uh, we had um, <laughs> that crew. Yeah. Oh, I no. just thought about the um, irony of. We uh, remade a Canadian show with a Canadian comedian here in America. I know, right? With Howie. <laughs> Howie. So um, Howie hosted uh, this version, which only did, it was a special, like it was a one-off uh, deal. And um, the, the crew was 50-50, uh, American crew uh, in you know, the, the Canadian crew. And the American crew was quite surprised when they learned that when the Canadian contestant won $50,000, they were taking home $50,000 because in America, you're taxed. You don't take the amount of money that you win. So they were, they were like, what, what do you mean they get that much money? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, no, you get all of it. That's all yours. <laughs> Which brings up an interesting question also, and this is just solely freelance American worker, freelance yeah. Canadian worker. Yeah. There's a lot of hoops that I had you know, in 2018, 2019, that I had to deal with earlier this year of doing my income taxes and and making sure I do all my deductions and everything. So I didn't Mm -hmm. owe and I still end up owing. And is that, it's a very complicated, if you want to work for yourself here in America, it is a very complicated process setting all that up. In terms of taxes, I've got my friends who do their own and I, I have an accountant. So I'm, I'm a freelancer. I'm very much like my father. The creative stuff comes very easily to me. The money stuff I need help with. Because when you start talking to money to me, I hear like the peanuts teacher. <laughs> <laughs> so I hear, wah, 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 wah. so I've got someone who I do my preparation and then they, I sort of hand it off like a baton. Well, there is something you have, like, obviously there is a, it's not, I, and I didn't, for any second thinkers like, well, in Canada, they must not pay income tax. Like I know, obviously that's not it. We we only pay, yeah, we only pay $750. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, so everybody in Canada is a bankrupt billionaire. Okay. Everyone in Canada is a shyster and a thief. All right, cool. No, well, it's, I don't know how you're, I have no idea how any of that process works over there because also at the same time, you're part of the United all right, yeah, I'm an ignorant American. I don't know how the governmental and policies work in Canada. Like, you're owned by the British and you have a prime minister, but you're also your own country. I don't get it. I don't, who's, who, is there, is, you know, is it like Robin Hood, a Disney cartoon Robin Hood, where some sheriff comes around and takes you a little bag of gold coins and walks away and goes, this is your tax for the day. I don't know. I have no idea. It might, it might have worked like that at one point. <laughs> I mean, I still, I'm still very confused over, like, why the monarchy I, I like I don't quite we have a governor general who represents the monarchy. So she like she or he, depending on who the governor general is, they stand in for the queen. Um, I I don't quite get it. Um, I, I don't 
I don't, I don't have anything against the monarchy. I mean, I, I don't quite understand what the dealio is, but, um, but yeah, we're still, we're still under watch from them, but, um, but no, I mean, I've got, I've got, you know, a, a number of friends who are freelancers who really struggle with their taxes and do it themselves. And, and I, I am just someone that when it comes to numbers, um, I really, I really need someone to walk me through. Like I'm, it's just, I'm, I'm not that I, I, I I'm terrible. I'm all thumbs. See, <laughs> I, I don't know. I, I, for me, not, I, I have zero problems doing math, math. I am, yeah. was always very good at in school. Uh, like I would, I, you know, the, the, the slightly exaggerated story that I tell people is I would fall asleep during class, math class, <laughs> wake up, look at the board, do all my work, and then tell everybody around me how to do it. That's how good I was at math <laughs> growing up. So, for you know, when I see here, and like one of the, here, you know, people complain about, it's like, schools here in America don't teach anybody how to do their taxes. They should be teaching us how to do our taxes. I'm like, all taxes are is reading and math. They teach you how to read. Yeah. They teach you how to do math. It's yeah. addition and subtraction. That's it. Like, but it's not the same. Yeah. I'm like, it is. Read the form. Do the math. I don't understand how that's complicated. Why we need more training or teaching than that out there. And I understand math is not everyone's subject, but me teaching you how to do your taxes. If you're bad at math, isn't going to make you better at math. It's still math and reading, you know, it's reading comprehension and math. In my, in my opinion, apparently I'm, I'm wrong compared to other people. I don't know, but (laughs) like I'm, I'm, I'm very, very organized. I have, I have, I think at last count, like three calendars where I've got stuff written down in different places. Um, but, but I'm very organized and very detailed and I, I'm on my tax stuff. Like I file early, I've got all that. I've just got, you know, a, a really great system to get that all done. And because, you know, I, I, I don't want to be in trouble. I don't want to be, you know, uh, getting those letters or those calls from the government because I've got friends who do where they're like, oh yeah, I, didn't realize I hadn't, how do you not realize you haven't paid taxes for three years? Like, how does that happen? <laughs> well, uh, well, so the, the real I don't know. button to my, uh, uh, to, to wrap up my question about taxes is mm-hmm. it's as a, as a sole proprietor, as a person who works for themselves or whatever in Canada, yeah. having to organize your business affairs is just as complicated as it is in here in America, probably different, but still just as complicated. Yeah. So, and that's what I was wondering. Yeah. It's like, is it easy? Because, like, I have to, I literally have to worry about healthcare here because we don't have it. Uh, right. As, you know, well, in Massachusetts, we have MassHealth, which is supposed to be a unified healthcare or whatever. And it's mm. literally, it's basically just statewide Medicare. Like, it's just, that's really right. what it is. Let's be honest. And now we have Obamacare, which is statewide Medicare, um, where it's like, well, it, it's just like, it's basically privatized insurance, but for everyone in the state and you still have to pay into it. And it is still dependent on the state. It's basically still a business, but it's a business yeah. now serving everybody. And if you don't pay into that service, Hey, they tax you uh, harder. So that's a whole nother can of worm, worm hoops to jump through. Yeah. And, and to that point as a freelancer and as someone who is not on a steady payroll, who does not have employee benefits. I mean, I've got what I have from the Canadian government, which I'm very grateful for. It does not cover everything yeah. like dental or, or certain, you know, certain appointments, 
you do have to pay some money for certain tests because the government allows you, you know, you can do this like every two years or what have you. But if you've got a condition, you got to get more frequently. So it's not. Oh, it's, it's not, not perfect. As, Nothing's as perfect. But what I, what I want to say, though, is that as a freelancer who, as I say, is not on a payroll, if I get sick and I can't make a production, there goes my paycheck. Then I'm yeah. struggling for rent. Then I'm struggling for this. I I live, I'm, I'm on my own. I don't have children to support. I marvel at my friends who are freelancers, who have families. And during times like this where productions are shut down or, you know, my restaurant friends who haven't gone back to work, like this is, this is like you're dipping in the emergency fund that I've dipped into this year. Next year is going to be really difficult for me. I, I, I know that. I don't know how my tax situation is going to go. I don't know if I'll be able to afford to live where I live right now um, because I'm not getting the frequency of work. It's, it's scary, you know, and, and even, and even pre COVID, you know, if you get sick and you can't go to work and be that audio guy for the day, there go, there goes your money and it's good money, but it's in short increments. And so you have to really squirrel it away. This whole pandemic, your production affects so many people. Um, and that was one of the things I used to fight for about uh, in, in the days of anti-piracy was fine, was I'm not paying, you know, I, I'm not paying for music to support the big labels or to put money in Metallica's pockets and they're already so rich. Right. No, yeah. I'm putting, I'm buying this CD with my own money mm-hmm. to support the, the recording engineer who recorded it. Uh, I'm buying That's these cool. movies to support the guy who was on set that had to hand so-and-so their umbrella or the, the sound guy or yeah. and now finding out yeah. you know, the transcribist, which in the level of production, I would think that having someone transcribing would be an unnecessary luxury. Like if we were cutting yeah. budgets and we're like, all right, we're still going to do the production, but the budget's less. What are the essential jobs to the bu- yeah. to this? I'd imagine transcribing is on that list of things that we, can get rid of, which is, so even though if there's productions, it's still take, you know, they just might not be calling you even though production works still. As a transcriber, I don't disagree with you. It's, it's kind of hilarious that I get the work frequency that I get. And especially nowadays, but that, that whole, uh, that whole argument remains of these shows are so heavily produced and structured and you need that follow along for what's happening. And it's time consuming work. Um, the, the company that just hired me to fix the transcript that the computer screwed up, they were very honest. They were like, we've been trying to do this ourselves. We need help. Like we need someone to do this for us because we just don't, don't have the time. And it's, yeah, it, I, I can't tell you the number of times I have been invited to production show rap parties. I have shown up. And someone has thought I was the caterer. Like, <laughs> knows who I am. <laughs> I mean, you know, was... so, so I, I've done, pri- I've, I've been hired to do uh, private uh, comedy gigs and I show up and yeah. they look at me and they're like, yeah, loading docks around the back. So I get it. I... <laughs> there was, there was one show where they were having a contest, like how many questions could you answer about the season? And I won a prize and I was walking up. And the, the show producers, uh, or the not the producers, the, the two who owned the company, um, as I was walking up, I heard one of them say to the other, 
who the hell is that? I'm, I'm not on set. I work from home. It's the best. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. And as an actor, uh, similar things happen where you become, you know, you start doing productions over and over and you meet the same other actors or the same other PAs. And, you know, you just have a rapport with them because you've worked on other things together. And then yeah. somebody's like, somebody gets shitty about it. Cause like, why is Tony favoring Dennis so much? It's like, Oh, they've worked together. They know each other. Tony knows yeah. Dennis isn't going to fuck this up. That's why he keeps going back to him or whatever, you know, as an example. Yeah, and, or, or and I, I get that, you know, I've got, I've got a great deal of camaraderie now with the post-production department, with editors, with, you know, with post-production heads. And, um, you know, we, we can bond that way. And maybe if they go to another show, they'll contact me, which is great. Cause you still, you depend on that domino effect when you're a freelancer, you depend on, making a good impression, doing a solid job, getting the work done on time and, you know, going above and beyond uh, to make sure that you have that next, that next gig. And the, the other nice thing about it, just, you know, to bring in like the writing side of my life, even though it, you know, it has nothing to do with the transcribing. Um, I, you know, as someone who's, you know, got an eye for story and an eye for how things are going, I'm also that first point of, of contact for, for the show to know how the characters are coming along, how the story's coming along. If I'm not engaging with the raw interview footage that I'm getting, I'll write the editor and be like, you've got your work cut out for you making this look interesting, you know, because I'm that I, I'm the first eyes on every episode of Love It or List It, you know, <laughs> so and I have on, my notes. <laughs> and, and just to get into the nitty gritty of how your job works, do they send you video files and do you just, watch and listen to them? Do they send you audio files yep. or? No, it's, it's um the only time I will get audio files is from ad agencies when they're doing focus groups and they want to have all the comments typed out from a focus group. So that's, that's the only time I get those. Um, everything else is video file that I um, upload into uh, a software um, that I use uh, to I have the video in one little corner of the screen and then I set up my keyboard to do like little, you know, so I can tab or stop and start and that kind of stuff. Um, or, you know, I just old school it and open up QuickTime in a Word doc, you know, because that's what I was wondering. Is it, the is video it, doesn't go in. <laughs> is there a special software you have to use to do this or do you just do it old school? Because I would imagine like, I feel like here in my studio, I'd be totally wonderfully set up to do that because I can watch video on one screen and then type over here on this other screen or vice versa. Cause I have a, yeah. I have a qu quintuple monitor set up in the studio or I literally have right. five different monitors around me that I can send things to at any and all times. Like yeah, my idea to make my home podcast studio was to make it look as close to the enterprise as possible. <laughs> I want people to walk in here and even though if some of it's not functional, but you know, right. it, it, so it is sometimes me, that, is, yeah, that easy. For for me, I solely just have my laptop. I don't have two monitors. Um, I've just got this one thing, and and for me, um, because I learned how to do this, so it like in such an archaic fashion of, quite honestly, putting something possibly a DVD into my TV and sitting with my laptop and typing out what was being said and pausing and starting and stopping with my remote. I taught myself in such a bizarre way 
I am fine to do any fashion of transcribing <laughs> possible. Well, has it over the eight years that you or eight or 10 years or so that you've been doing this, has the medium changed? Like, were they mailing yeah. you DVDs and now they're just sending you files? To, uh, yeah, to be totally honest, there was one show when I started. Um, I, they only made one DVD copy of the episode. If you needed it, but I was working on it, I had to hurry the F up so you could get it. It was hilarious. And I had to get in the cab and go find you and do, it was ridiculous. It took them, oh gosh, I feel like two or three seasons to send me files via the internet. <laughs> Well, I can't imagine just making one DVD. Well, I guess you don't want too many DVD copies out there because once you burn a DVD, it's useless afterwards. You can't yeah. reuse it like yeah. you, like in the old days of tapes where you could just magnify them and get rid of it uh, and reuse it. But it was it. wild because it wasn't that long ago. I want to say that was maybe maybe seven years ago they were doing this. So, yeah, um, yeah, it's just funny. But, but the medium has changed. Um, you know, I... Yeah, I still marvel sometimes at how slow it can take for things to get to me. Like they'll, you know, but I think that's more of a commentary on just people's speediness of getting shit to me. But I just find it funny of how shows will still, you know, I they'll they'll have all this time. They'll take their time getting stuff to me. They'll send me hours of footage and be like, you can get this to me by tomorrow at 8 a.m., right? And it's like, oh, sure, I just won't sleep. <laughs> like, <So> sure. <laughs> you get this to me tomorrow at 8 a.m., uh, which is 16 hours from now to go through 32 hours of, of video. <laughs> you know, and then I'm looking at the slate on the video and I'm like, this was shot a month and a half ago? <laughs> well, it's it, the reason I ask is because literally 15, 20 years ago, you needed a special, like everything was shot on quarter inch tape still mm -hmm. you know or it, yeah maybe betamax tape but like so many things yeah, were still shot yeah. on not vcr tape and you needed a special uh a special player so you never would have you yeah. know 15 20 years ago you not you, you barely would have been able to do this job without having to buy a special tape player to play so even right. in this span yeah. of time whereas you're now able to get it on dvd now able to files that makes the job so much more accessible for you and anybody else who wants to get into it. Yeah. And including yeah. the fact that you're saying there's a software that allows you to do that as well. So. Yeah. Yeah. There's there, you know, if I was, if I was able to create like a program to do what I do, if I had the brains to like envision, you know, the perfect transcription software, I'd be laughing, <laughs> you know, <laughs> cause I'm like, Oh my gosh, my dream would be to transcribe for the bachelor. That would be a gold mine of raw footage <laughs> especially now oh since it's it's they're they're secluded in a bubble and it's tw it's practically 24 7 uh, now let's go back let's pretend you know when we were allowed to go out of our house and back into the world and do things <laughs> would you bring your laptop just to sit and transcribe something while you're out like sitting at an open like because i've definitely tried doing that uh, on an ipad at an open mic just going through the transcriptions of an interview i did just so i can have it faster do you try to transcribe out or just like no i'm gonna sit down here no distractions and that's how i have to do it no i definitely do not take it with me but i have certainly left shows asked to go up early and then left right after my set because i have to come back home and and do the work um mind you uh you know given Canada's free healthcare. That means crazy wait times to see a doctor. I have brought work to my doctor's <laughs> office while I'm sitting in the waiting room. 
Okay. So yeah, it's possible. Um, but but at a at a gig, no, I will I will excuse myself, give them a heads up, like I've got to go, you know, do this and and get out of there. So yeah. Now let's talk about this because the the thing I am curious about how things and it's been a while since we brought this up, but uh, what are COVID productions looking like? Because uh, you've been working on Love It or Leave It, Love It or Shove It, Love It, whatever the name <laughs> of that dumb show is. Shitty reality show. Take, oh. take a hike. Yeah. I think that's what the show's called. Take a hike. Uh, you know, they were doing stuff early, earlier comparatively in the pandemic. So what is current pandemic productions looking like? Well, it's been interesting. When when Lovater listed, uh, because we shoot in the States, we shoot in North Carolina. Um, when production shut down, I was like, okay, this is this is the bulk of my rent money. This is going to be tricky. And I was also working at a restaurant that shut down. So I was like, okie dokie, not going to be fun. And then um, not that long after um, uh, a friend uh, got in touch with me, she said, I'm working on a show for HGTV in, in the States, not H, well, our version is just called HGTV Canada, but uh, a home design show that was done on Zoom uh, called Design at Your Door. And so uh, this was actually pretty cool to work on um, because the designer, much like we're set up like this, would ship to you, the homeowner, all the stuff. And then I'd be on the Zoom walking you through what to do. You were basically doing the work of my entire crew. Um, that was kind of fun to work on. I'm not going to lie. It was pretty cool because, I, you know, you, you got to see inside the home of, you know, you, you saw like the, 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 the unpolished nature of a home design show. You're not, you're, you were seeing the couple try to figure out how to do stuff, which a crew would do and you wouldn't put that uh, on the broadcast. Um, that was kind of fun to work on. And, and now that Love It or List It is back, filming um they i see in the crew that they're all masked up and the safety visors and that stuff so well oh i know and it, well it always baffled me is how many more people it takes to do a tv show compared to a radio show now i granted yep. th there's vi there's a whole nother aspect in it video that requires more people i get that but yeah just the amount of people that go into making any tv show compared to the amount of people that work at any radio station baffles me that they do like there's so uh, uh like yeah. movies to me I, I feel like there's like in movies i feel like the most wasted money position is yeah stand-ins <laughs> like i, yeah. I, I blow probably because i'll never be a stand-in i'm five foot six i'm 210 pounds i'm bald i i i'm, I'm too sh i'm too short to stand in for any well-known actors. I'm too tall to stand in for Danny DeVito. I'm too fat to stand in for Tom Cruise. So it's like, I'm never ever in my entire life going to be in a stand-in. So I don't understand how they pay. They pay better. Stand-in. You know how much stand-ins get paid? Like stuntmen, completely different. That's a skill in a town. But you yeah, who yeah. just stand there so they can position the lights just because you're the same height and hair color as another actor. Yeah. And you get paid more than me who is actually somebody on screen is ridiculous. I feel like standards should be the should be uh, is a humongous waste of money, and nobody will agree with me for any for for whatever reason. I don't know. Every time I talk about, it, they're like, "Yo, what do you expect? 
Amy Schumer to come out here and stand in front of a light while we adjust it? Yes. Why not? Or approximate yeah, it and then adjust once she gets there. Like, she, you don't need somebody to be standing there for two hours while you adjust the light. You can approximate where the person is. Whatever. That's my opinion. But I remember on I remember on Canadian Idol um, when we'd have to, you know, do the run throughs of the shows before the talent got there. And yeah, you have all these folks pretending to be Miley Cyrus or. <laughs> but I also remember when I got hired on that show and my mom was like, oh, what do you what you know, what are you doing on Canadian Idol? And I was like, well, I'm preparing the scripts. And my mom, very deadpan, was like. And so the host of, of our version uh, is, was a fellow named Ben Mulrooney, um, who a lot of Canadians were introduced to because he was the son of one of our prime ministers. So he sort of had a, a name already. So Ben Mulrooney was hosting, and I remember my mom saying, Ben, ben needs a script. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, he needs to be yeah. scripted to say, and your next performer is... That finale, uh, the script for Canadian Idol was about 300 pages, if I'm not mistaken. Wow. That's for, for, for what, a six, a hundred, at most 120 minutes? Two-hour show, maybe? Something like that. What needed to be done was for the, ca- for the camera cuts for the director, I had to, I had to take the songs space them out accordingly to like beats, pauses, and do that so that the director knew where to put in her camera cuts. I mean, I, I you know, when you talk about box scripts, those are shooting scripts to me in TV. And we used them, yeah. you know, me as the director or uh, me as the producer, depending on what the segment and the, what the show was, I would mm-hmm. do that. I mean, when I directed yeah. or when I tech directed, we did a lot on the fly oh, yeah. for performances because, you know, we just had that, that, you know, we could do that because... I'm I'm a good yeah. tech director, but I'm a good I'm, I'm a good technical director, switcher, whatever you want to call it, and I'm a good director where we yeah. can fly off the seat of my pants because there's tricks and tips and all kinds of things that you recreate in, in the moments. Like, oh, okay, totally. cool, we have a soft ballad song. All right, let's go frame up camera uh, camera one, frame her up uh, on the right side, camera two, frame your close up on the left, and then slow transition between the two. Yeah. And you see the faces, and it's like, oh, money, artsy, but. Um, yeah, yeah, but yeah, yeah we've had to make those shooting scripts. For details. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I, I understand. I personally understand, you know, having to go through line by line of the song and talk about camera angles and stuff like that, or what you want, yeah. making notes and, or at this point in the song, we want to make sure that we, you know, oh, Hey, here's, here's the part of the song where it's the the bass solo. So let's make sure that camera three beforehand frames up on the bases yeah. so we can cut exactly. right to the bass solo at time. But so, yeah, I get that. That was that was a lot, and I'm just remembering now. Um, uh, I worked on one PBS great performances. I've worked on one of those. I had a ball. Uh, they did a Brian Adams great performances. They shot it here in Toronto, and I got I was the only Canadian on the crew um, because they knew I did script stuff. And they did it at the time, anyways. They did it old school. They had cards. I had to cut them. I had to handwrite all the lyrics to Brian's songs <laughs> for all the different crews on cards. The end of that first day, I remember going to like the producer the next morning, my hands were like claws. I was like, <laughs> <laughs> I can't write anymore. <laughs> and I'm fortunately I'm ambidextrous. So I have that to play. I can put the pen in the left hand. I can switch it off. But both my hands are just like <laughs> <laughs> my money makers, my money makers. 
<laughs> that was wild. But I, I adored working on that. Oh, that was so much fun. Yeah, yeah. I, that you know Saturday Night Live. If you watch, you know they 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 produce a whole mm-hmm. bunch of behind the scene videos, and they talk about how they had the same cue card writer there yeah. there for the for the whole run of the show. But they still write. Hand, yeah. I think he just passed away too. But um, they have they handwrite all the cue cards if yeah. they make a change, and they got rewrite all the cards and stuff like that. And yeah. that I just yeah. feel like there's got to be a better technological, you know, screen printing or printing press better way to do. A lot like with the cards you were saying, I can't understand why you can't just print off a bunch of those, you know, type it out, print off a bunch of pages, cut them and then glue them to a card to save yourself handwriting time. Well, but I mean, you, there's you a reason why have teleprompter, you know, you also have teleprompter stuff you can use rather than just printing it off and paying. But I don't know. I guess if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Kind of works for them. Like Seth Meyers still uses cue cards. You know, Letterman was using that stuff. It. I, I don't know. Well, I mean, I, even for you writing all these index, like you had to write, let's just say what for six different people, the lyrics over and over yeah. on, on, on index cards. When you could have just, yeah. you know, I'm not telling you how to do your job. It's weird no. that we can't get to that, to that point where like that we're still so, uh, all right, here's, I yeah. think this will wrap up what I'm trying to say that we have so many methods that we did things for so long that we still continue, keep doing, even though technology had passed it. In radio, yeah. uh, when I moved here to Boston, I, I came to to write traffic reports. And one of our stations, we we, you know, we have a helicopter who goes flies around and does traffic reports. Mm-hmm. And the main radio station that we have the helicopter for, I literally turned my boss. You know, where he's doing his reports through an mm-hmm. old school walkie-talkie because mm-hmm. that's what they had. That's what they've been using all those years. And I'm like, there's so many better, right. better. There's so much better technology to make a crystal. Like we could put him in the helicopter and give. The equipment that makes him sound like he's in the studio and it sounds crystal clear. Well, instead, they want it to sound like this. Uh, it sounds like this for every report, for eight times an hour, every hour, 24 hours, you know, throughout main drive. And, yeah. and, and, and I'm like, why are we not using these things? They're not that expensive anymore. And they go, because they want this sound. They want, when they go to the yeah. copter, they want it to sound like he's in a copter. Not sound like this. Like an iPhone is sound, uh, recording an iPhone and emailing it to the radio station sounds 10 times better than the technology we're using, but it's because the radio station wants to uphold that uh, mystery that he's in, you know, or not mystery, but yeah. uphold the imagery that our traffic reporter is in a helicopter and you can hear the helicopter and just paints a picture. And it's like, so we're putting out a lesser product just because we, because of where this is what we're used to and this is what we want it to sound like. And that blows my yeah, mind. It- it's interesting that we, you know, that, you know, a job like mine continues to exist. Uh, I don't know how many more years this will be a thing or when that software will match up. But yeah, it's, it, it's interesting how just how how it just is like these odd jobs that that folks don't think like you're beyond we're beyond that, right? No, we're still using it. I mean, um, I, I find it, you know, I find it so entertaining when when the younger kids are like, hey, have you heard of an LP? <laughs> um, you know, not that any young kid has said that to me, but um, but uh, I don't know. It's 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 funny. It's still it's still in our system. We're, we're still not completely uh, robot dependent and software dependent um, yet. I mean, that's not far away, but we're not there yet. Yeah, which is kind well, of interesting. So. Yeah, it, well, it's well, that's why what uh, you know I don't understand like things like Zoom, which was 
garbage. It's garbage. It's a garbage product. The reason it took off is because it has cool. It's cool. You know, virtual backgrounds. Don't you think, and I saw this in a comedy sketch. I can't remember what I was watching. I can only imagine the meetings that are happening at Skype. Oh, <laughs> that, well, so yeah, this is the thing that blows my mind. It's like news news company, like C, uh, CNN, CNN has been doing remote. CNN is all remote conversation. They're yeah. all done remotely through satellites. Yeah, there's usually people, uh, qualified, uh, uh, qualified people there to do it. But then we switch from that to Zoom or we switch like Oracle was really trying to get their yeah. sister WebEx at the beginning of this. So they were just, you know, they you would see, you know, they were sponsoring things. So literally the thing that news things do every single day, every day, yeah. all day long yeah. during the pandemic, switch to a lesser version of what they've been doing just because, you know, why are we doing things through Zoom? Why are we doing things on uh, on, on Skype? When we were able to do these things without their help before, why, you know, it, the amount of news, uh, the amount of uh, local news broadcasters that were at home broadcasting on this mm-hmm. and not yep. giving them a camera to go home with and set up, go home. Yeah. Here, News Anchor, take this equipment, we'll tell you how to set it up on the phone and make it work and then don't fucking touch it ever again. Why we weren't doing that and we were making home newscasters use their goddamn cell phones, which by the way has become good technology. Don't get me wrong. I yeah, will yeah, we'll yeah. talk about the marvels of how great I've literally done radio shows from my iPhone back when I was yeah. working radio. Like I can and will, and you won't even notice that I'm not in the studio uh, for those things. But regardless of that, yeah. why we went from good technology, just to bad technology because of its fame is not, it just blows my freaking mind. But what am I going to do it, about it? Yeah, like I, I for for probably about three years or so, I was doing some correspondence stuff for for TMZ uh, for their web show uh, that they have on on their on their website every day, um, and I was doing that via Skype, and and it it does make me laugh that Skype was not, you know, I I've got my little YouTube show that I do this baking show uh, a couple times a week, and and I was offering friends like, yeah, let's do this on Skype, and it was like, no, can you get Zoom? I prefer to do. It was like, what the hell is Zoom? Right. Yeah. <laughs> Well, the, the, so the law office I worked but, but that, at, the law office oh, I worked sorry. at, we at, we actively hated Zoom because they have terrible encryption, bad software, mm. the the bandwidth is terrible. Uh, it's just a bad product. But yeah. as soon as all this shit happened, they kept asking for Zoom because they're like, oh, I get to pretend that I'm in Paris instead of being at my house. Oh, let's get Zoom, and we switched everything over to Zoom, knowing yeah, that it's and, a shit and, product. But whatever. Yeah, and so many folks have have done that over the past few months. But um, I'm a I'm a fan of a TV show called The Voice on NBC. And when they had to go towards their finals, um, they sent everyone like proper camera gear, and that show looked freaking amazing because people had the proper camera, they had the proper lighting set up. I assume there was quite a walkthrough to figure out how to do this stuff, but. Yeah, it's the default was to go to Zoom, but but that show in particular went that effort, got that product to the contestants, and that show looked amazing. Yeah, and even there's so many better products, and it's so much easier to do, you know, things. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, it's the fact that it just I, I hate anything that's popular mm-hmm. because it's popular. Like anything that, like Beats by Dre heads, headphones are the worst headphones in the history of headphones. But they're the number one selling headphone. Why? Because they're the number one advertised headphones, and nobody yeah. knows. Nobody 
puts those correlations yeah. together. I'm not smarter because I put those things together. I just realize it. And I, uh, whatever. Mm-hmm. But audio is my life, not yeah. everybody else's. And I'm digressing again. <laughs> We're here to talk about you. Not listen to me rant about things that I hate, which I could just do another <laughs> podcast on by myself. Uh, and just, maybe I should do that. Maybe That's more people funny. are more interested in the Dennis Hates Thing <laughs> podcast. Um, no, nobody wants to listen to me rant That's about stuff. Funny. Nobody wants to listen to a white male complain about things. Trust me. Um, are you sure? Yes, very much so. <laughs> so, all right, and just to, to wrap it up, I know you've been working with a documentary, or you've been promoting it, and I, I purposely didn't look into it because I wanted to ask you about it, although now I'm thinking, yeah. I was like, I probably should know more about the thing I'm going to ask you about instead of going, please tell me about the documentary <laughs> you that you've been promoting. For. <laughs> yeah, so uh, along with, with doing stand-up and transcribing and, and all that stuff. Uh, I also have a documentary filmmaker on my, on my CV. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it's my first doc. Um, I uh, never, never thought this would have been something I would be talking about. Um, but um, I, as a fan of The Daily Show, and I go back to like the initial incarnation, I've like, always been a fan, but I really became interested when Jon Stewart was hosting and he was talking about 9-11 first responders and how much sicker they were getting and just being quite an advocate. And I'm a very empathetic person and I was listening to this and hearing what was happening with these, these men and women and, and, and how they're were really being ignored by by their own government. And, and I was really quite pulled into all of it and, and really enjoyed listening to him. And so when he came back on the show in December of 2015, um, the fund was like, feels like almost hours away from really just being non-existent and these folks being really, truly on their own. He asked people to um, uh, bombard Congress with a hashtag called worst responder. So I, I sent a tweet because I was watching the episode and I was in tears and uh, I tweeted uh, something along the lines of like, as a Canadian, there's not much more I can do, but send this tweet, but the government should be helping them. And that tweet introduced me to a man who is the subject of my documentary, this man named John Feel, who is a 9-11 responder himself. He was injured at Ground Zero. He was doing construction. He is this advocacy machine. He has done an incredible amount of work for thousands of people over the years, getting bills passed, going to Congress. And we got connected through this random tweet that I sent that a friend of his saw and for some reason added me on Twitter. And I messaged him and said, what can I do to help you guys? So it's it's strange of how these little moments, you know, happen and you, you know, a light bulb goes off. And um, the documentary that ended up happening from that tweet is called No Responders Left Behind. John Stewart's actually featured in it, which is a wonderful full circle kind of moment. And we follow the path of these two 9-11 advocates getting the healthcare and the funding that these folks need. Whether you're a first responder or you just happen to be in the ground in the area when it happened and you've become sick as a result, that's my first documentary. So it's good that I started with a small subject. <laughs> <laughs> Diving right into it. Well, what is it you were no. doing for the documentary? I'm I'm one of the producers. That was me prompting you to explain what a producer sure. does for the audience. <laughs> From the tweet that was sent, 
Um, I got to talking to John Feel by email then by phone, talked myself into making a film. I was like, my idea was if I don't know who you are, someone else doesn't know who you are. And I'm really blown away that this dude who lives in a bungalow in Long Island is doing the amount of work that you are doing of getting bills passed and getting in these politicians' faces. And so I presented an idea rather to a friend of mine who is a documentary filmmaker. And I basically just said, like, Rob, how do I make a documentary? What do I do? <laughs> and he said, well, pitch me the idea. What are you working on? And in pitching him, he said, yeah, we need to, there's something here. So a producer in, in this regard, I, I, I brought an idea to someone. I then worked with another producer to organize the crews, organize the shooting dates, form, you know, form along with the director, the story points. You're basically, you're not the person behind the scenes calling go or stop or, you know, stand here or there, but you're providing everything else that comes with it. You're, you're getting all the other parts together. You're hiring the transcriber, you're hiring the craft people, you know, you're doing all as an independent producer anyways. I don't know if that makes sense, but no, it does make sense. I know what a producer does, which is still also, by yeah, the yeah. way, is just a, in the world of radio, TV, and movies, producer is such a blanket term. Yeah. Same thing with engineer. Yeah. Sometimes they're just kind of blanket terms yeah. that we throw in things that mean so much. And it is very confusing to say, oh, I'm a producer when I know what a producer does. But then production to production, it changes and different things. And most of the, I know, because I've been around them, the audience out there yeah. are still very confused at what producers do. But especially also as an independent filmmaker, you're maybe putting on even more hats than like a major studio feature producer would do. So in this case, we did this film really flying by the seat of our pants. This is not a traditional doc where you're going to see people sitting in a chair talking to camera. We flew around and we let the story sort of happen because as the writer and the storyteller that I am, I knew that there was something here. I couldn't necessarily, sounds awful to say, figure out what our direction was, but I was trusting my storyteller gut and my writer's gut that, note, there's something here. Let's put the camera and go this way. And these folks were mystified that these Canadians wanted to listen to their story they were quite perplexed by us, <laughs> but there, through that, this bond was formed because as this Canadian crew that has a greater access to healthcare, not necessarily lives in a better healthcare system, but we were really confused that this was even a thing we were having to talk about, <laughs> you know, it just seems like such a slam dunk and straight line this way, but yet the hoops that they've had to jump through is is pretty wild. So there was a nice bond that was formed that allowed the style of filmmaking that we did of being flies on the wall to happen so naturally. And then the universe just kept giving us these, as filmmakers, these, these gifts of story points that made for this film that we are so proud of. And we are hopefully any day now going to have someone say, yeah, let's put it on this network or this streaming service. So it's been five years. So Five years? I didn't realize you've been working on this thing for five years. Yeah. Yeah. So from that initial, from that initial viewing of 
Jon Stewart on The Daily Show in that tweet, which was December 2015, to now it being October 2020, um, we are now finally at a point where we found a distribution company and they are shopping it around. So it's, it's yeah, it's been crazy. Our film was actually done about a year and a half ago. And then last year, which would be about four years after we filmed, half of the money that the guys got at the beginning of our film was almost gone. And they actually had to go back to Congress. And a lot of people saw Jon Stewart on TV last year making very a very compassionate speech as to why more money was needed for a longer period of time. And so our guys had to go back down. Oh, no, and, well, that's the thing. That. I remember that last year. And that's when I thought this whole process for you started was a year ago no. when he made that speech no. to Congress. I didn't realize you've been doing this. You're almost finished. And then a whole new thing happens. You're like, all right, well, time to get production yeah. back up and running. It was pretty crazy. Like our film went from this wonderful romance, to use a term, between uh, two characters in our film to what happened last year and them having to go back to Capitol Hill gave us a story beat that we couldn't have put together with the best editing team that we've got. It's kind of crazy when that happens as a, as a filmmaker and you're like, this is terrible, but this is also incredibly beneficial to what we're trying to do. It just, it, it encapsulated and took us from A to B in a way that, that we hadn't had in the previous version of the film. And you know, it's wild to think that all the characters in our film were all at that same place on September 11th, 2001, but these guys did not know who each other was until about 2011, which is kind of interesting, you know, Yeah. that they were all, they were all in the same place, but they didn't know each other until they started getting very sick very quickly. And they went to this guy in Long Island because their, their fire crew guy was like, talk to John Feel. Who's John Feel? Well, let me tell you. So it's really a film about how anybody can make something happen. Everybody has a power to, to change what isn't working, you know. What's the name of the documentary so people can keep an eye out for it? Yeah, it's called No Responders Left Behind. Um, you guys can find us on Facebook or uh, through our production company, Paradox Pictures, here in Toronto. Um, and yeah, just keep fingers crossed. This will be coming to a streaming service or a network very, very soon. So, Because it's going to be 20 years next year that those towers fell. Oh, I know. Don't worry. They won't yeah. let us forget. Yeah. But by the, the tagline of, like, this is how we are in America. We created a tagline for a tragedy. <laughs> I know, but the thing about that, which has, which was my first impression or my first sort of education on that, people do that when the time comes, when the anniversary date comes, and they do it because it looks good and they feel good for the moment. But to those who are affected by this, who continue to be affected by it, nobody's remembered, and it, it's heartbreaking. And, and I, you know, a few months ago when I saw a lot of friends putting a lot of stuff out towards Black Lives Matter and, you know, what we were seeing in the wake of George Floyd's murder, and then it stops. It's, you know, it's, it's got the pros and cons of putting those hashtags out there. It's fine to do it, but follow through. 
<laughs> that's when stuff really happens. I would hope someone in the documentary would say about the, the what's going on is like, we keep telling one to not forget, but we've sat here yeah. and now forgotten oh, yeah. about the people who saved oh, us yeah. or whatever. You know, I would Absolutely. hope somebody would put that that in there. Um, but all right, Kelly, mm-hmm. this has been great and wonderful. And uh, so Paradox Films is if people want to follow up on the documentary. If somebody wants yeah, to follow Paradox up Pictures. and see your hilarious comedy, where can we do that? Yeah, you can find me on on Instagram. My hashtag is the Latvian foodie. <laughs> and uh, I have a YouTube page under my name, Kelly Zanicka. So you can well, find I, me. I know. Find no, all my that's, no, no, that's the important thing that we want to do. Forget the comedy is the, the, the YouTube the, the YouTube show. That's I have that too. That's why I need to write down notes because that's the thing I wanted to end on. Not the somber documentary that I just made everybody cry about was you have you know uh, was, the real quick, the pitch, it. tell everyone the the quick, the quick elevator pitch of your show because it's great. For sure. So I, um, I have a baking show called it'll be fine, a baking show. And just to let you know, I came up with that title a year ago. So it was way before this happened. <laughs> And uh, it's a baking show that takes off all the shiny parts of a stuff, something you would see on Food Network. It shows you not having the right ingredients or overcooking something or forgetting. But, you know, I bake alongside friends and we make some cool stuff happen and it tastes yummy and it'll be fun. Was the, the, was the show originally in person and now you've had to cook yes. over zoom okay i have a i have a very tiny kitchen i was bringing friends in from the toronto area or outside the outside the city uh to come and bake with me i shot some stuff back home in montreal in my sister's kitchen um and yeah just a cool way to like you know show off a friend who's an artist or a comic or what have you and then once this all happened uh it went to it went to zoom and it's been really cool to do it virtually because now i can I've cooked with people in Thailand, in Long Island, in Miami, just all over the place. It's it's been super fun. Well, it's a fine baking show. Look for that. Yeah. Find that. It's a good time. Uh, Kelly, it thanks is. a bunch uh, for doing this. I can't wait to see the documentary when it finally gets proper distribution. Good luck with the baking show and don't burn down your house. <laughs> I'll see you on the next Zoom. 